It's, yeah. it's not that people don't know what to do. It's not that they even sometimes, I know we talk about why, 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 but many people know why they do it. Yeah. So they know why they want to do it. They know what they want to do. So how do you help us execute? Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we take to improve workplace culture and achieve results, and they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. Today, my guest, Quint Studer, is back on our show to share with us a little more about his experience in education, healthcare, and communities. Quint will also be joining us October 27th and 28th for our virtual DHP Quint Essential event. We hope you'll join us there as well. So to learn more about this virtual event, visit studereducation.com slash events. Now, to continue Quint's story from episode 122, Purpose, Worthwhile Work, and Making a Difference, we'll start with one of Quint's life transitions. So glad to have Quint back today. Last week, we started with kind of part one of, of Quint's life, which I uh, always enjoy hearing. And so I'm going to connect back with Quint today just to begin to walk through his life and how he got to where he is today and the experiences that took him there. So Quint, welcome back. Oh, thank you. I'm ready to, ready to go. So we've talked a lot about where you were born and then to how you got into education. And how'd you like the photos of Mrs. James and Coach King? I love them. I, I love them, Quint. That was, um, you know, it, it puts the face and personality to the story. So I appreciate you sending those. Um, so as we shift, um, at, you shifted at, at a particular time in your life from your profession and education to healthcare. So tell us what, what made that shift for you. Sure. Well, while I was in education, I, I entered recovery. So I, recovering alcoholic, I entered recovery. And one of the things that hit me working with 10 school districts is the fact that, you know, what do we do for children that are growing up in a home that's got addiction and other problems? So one of my jobs in working with 10 school districts is create programming. So I tried to create unique programming that all 10 school districts can sort of buy into that they'd have in common. So one of the things I was very aware of was employee assistance programs. So I created something called student assistance programs. And these student assistance programs were, if you were uh, uh, usually in high school where we focused, and let's say, you know, there's an issue at home with your mom or dad or wherever you were with any type of destructive behavior, you could confidentially go to a counselor. Now, I know we said, well, they could always do that. But we really focused more like really educating people on, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional home or looking at it and seeking help. So I created a 10 school district student assistance program that mirrored employee assistance programs. And with that, then one day I picked up the local newspaper and it just said this place called Parkside Lodge, Wisconsin, which I didn't go through treatment. I came right into the rooms is what they call it. Um, was a treatment facility, and they were looking for somebody in community relations. And I, I called them up, and I, it's so ironic, because the secretary for the person who I was supposed to talk to, or the secretary who answered the call wasn't there. So really, one of the vice presidents picked up the phone. And I explained I was calling about this job, even though their corporate headquarters were in Chicago. And I told them that I was working in school districts and I had a little experience in it because I set up the student assistance program. 
And he said, send me a resume. And I will tell you, I wasn't going to send a resume, you know, just yeah. at, I was okay where I was at. And like five minutes later, he called me back and he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be up there next week. I'd like to get together with you. So, so basically wow. we met and because they had 19 adult beds and 17 adolescent beds, my school district work was very intriguing to him because they knew they were either going to get somebody that had adult experience that they had to teach schools or somebody that had school experience that had to teach adults. So, so with that, I entered the behavioral medicine center, which, you know, was really tied very closely to special education because you're dealing with behavioral, a lot of behavioral modification, I would call it. Yeah. A lot of William Glasser's. When I went to college, William Glasser's reality therapy was sort of popular. So it's sort of tied together. And I, I think my education background and special ed, like we talked about last week, was really, really helpful getting into to healthcare. So that, that's why I got into um, healthcare. I walked in through behavioral, through the behavioral medicine door. Yeah. So such a link, really, Quint, you know, true link between what you were doing. So it wasn't like you totally changed professions. You just shifted what you were doing from one place to another and expanded your, you know, your learning there. That's, and that's. A, I always said they both had in common completely is the sense of purpose, the sense of doing worthwhile work and the sense of making a difference. Mm-hmm. So you moved from that to eventually becoming a hospital president. So you yeah. had a journey then in healthcare. So what yeah, was the story? Well, I'll tell you, that was interesting. So anyway, being I'm working now for this drug and alcohol treatment center, I would call on human resource directors. And one of the things that I learned, there's a lady named Shannon Burns in Chicago, who was sort of like part of the corporate and she came up and she said, one of the things you need to offer is supervisory training. She said, because many times these employees exhibit behavior and know that you don't want to diagnose them. They're sometimes not addressed. You know, they're not confronted with how to have difficult conversations. Some of them um, can be quite manipulative in their workplace and their boss. So she said, we should start offering supervisory training. So we started offering supervisory training to businesses in the Rock County type area, Wisconsin. One of the places I called on was a CEO of a hospital and he was nice enough to meet with me named Mike Rindler at Beloit Memorial Hospital. I, you know, hey, you go in and you talk. And I said, you know, Mike, where are you from? And he said, well, I'm from Western Springs, Illinois. And I said, oh, that's funny. I'm from LaGrange. They're right next door. I said, where'd you go to high school? He said, Lyons Township. I said, wow, that's amazing. That's where I went to high school. I said, when did you graduate? And he said, 1969. I said, whoa, that's when I graduated. Oh, now, no. I, I think Mike hung out in the stud in the library and I hung out in the parking lot where we didn't <laughs> know each other too much. So Mike sort of befriended me because we had that in common. We, we had that in common. And I did some supervisory training for, for Beloit. And then whenever an adult would come into treatment, we do something called a back to work or a back to school. And I would go with them because that would give me a chance to get to know the human resource person. So we were calling on um, Mercy Hospital in Janesville and Beheading was the VP of HR. And one day she just said to me, you know, I re really like what you're doing at Parkside, you know, because you're out in the community, you're doing community talks. And would you ever, we have a, a director of marketing job open. Would you want to come here? So I went to Mercy Hospital and sort of neat. One of the guys who hired me was a board member named Bill Ryan. And Friday night I was in Beloit, Wisconsin, and Bill is deceased now, and his daughter walked in. 
Mm. Tina. Now, what are the odds of that? Mm -hmm. And so just this last Friday, I could tell Tina how special her father was. Could you talk about a board member who always did what was right for the community? Um, Bill Ryan was one of those people. So I did that. And um, I was pretty good at it. I think my, again, my special ed background, you set a goal, you set a plan, you do the plan. And I ended up becoming senior vice president of business development there. And then this is a weird, and I know we'll get to president real quick. One day I got a phone call from Tom Giella, Corn Ferry. And he said, Quint, Holy Cross Hospital is looking for a vice president of planning and marketing. And we were wondering if you'd be interested. And I said, you know, that's sort of what I'm doing right now. I'm senior vice president of business development. It doesn't seem like a promotion. He said, you know, my sister lives in Janesville. In fact, so I'm going to go up and visit her. So why don't we have a cup of coffee? So he came up and he said, listen, why don't you just go down to Holy Cross Hospital and meet Mark Clement? Because I Mm. think you two will really get along. So I remember I drove down on a weekend to meet Mark Clement. And by the time we got done, I walked out as the chief operating officer Uh of Holy Cross Hospital because the skill set I had, which was physicians and sort of insurance I went into, and and he was an operator. And one of the things he said to me was that he felt that we basically had two skill sets really matched. So that's how I got to Holy Cross and Holy Cross, he put me in charge of patient satisfaction and you know, I sort of did what I did in special ed. You diagnose, then you come up with a treatment plan. You know, this, I've just been doing the same stuff the whole time. <laughs> and then we were very, very successful. And hospitals started benchmarking us. And Pensacola Baptist came to Chicago and benchmarked us. And then they asked me to come down and do like a half-day s- seminar, like a leadership session, which I did in the fall of 19... 19- Ninety-five, And then in like February, March of 1996, they always joke they waited for a real cold day in Chicago. (laughs) They they called me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming down and being president of Baptist Hospital. And I truly, truly was. And I'm I'm grateful to every place I've ever been. And so that's how I became president of Baptist Hospital. And, you know, I was I was overwhelmed when I became director of marketing. I had already surpassed any career goal I ever had. I had business cards and four weeks of a vacation. So what happened is hospitals started visiting us and, you know, they started asking if I could help them. And I took vacation days and with Baptist permission, they gave me paid time off to go help other hospitals. And then I got to this thing where I just felt I couldn't do both. And, and I didn't know which one to do. So I had a sponsor, a spiritual sponsor named Norm Adams. He's deceased now. And I went to Norm and said, what should I do? And he said, read the book, Power of Constructive Thinking by Emmett Fox. Read the chapter, Heart Aroused. And there's a story in there where a little girl was thirsty. And she said to her dad, there's no water. And her dad took a hose and showed her how to hold it and turn the water on at the spigot. And she was drinking water. And she, all of a sudden she said to her dad, there was no more water. And he looked down and she had moved her foot over the hose. And he said, take your foot off the hose. And the analogy was, sometimes we have our foot on the hose and we need to take it off. And the, the thing was, when your heart gets aroused, many times we don't do it because it might not be secure, might not make a lot of sense to people. So most people don't go with their heart. You know, we've always it just doesn't make sense. And he said, go with your your heart. And when I did, I started student group with $15,000 on the books. I left the hospital CEO job. My wife was the HR 
IT, finance. And, and then Sheila Martin came in and she helped my schedule and my presentations. And we started with three people and all of us in one office. That's how we started the company. And so, Quint, when you started working with Studer Group with just your core team there, did you just build connections with the um, CEOs that you knew? Is that the way, you know, as you built the company, what was the core reason for how you started and, you know, how it became extremely successful? Well, I, I think, again, being in, and going back to my background as an educator, you're always looking for tools and techniques. And they did, they, 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 these were results oriented people. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want a lot of anecdotal stuff. They did, they loved all the nice stories. They like all these, but they got to turn the dial. And I did a few things. Being a hospital administrator, I always was frustrated when consultants would come in and we talked about all these great results we're going to get. And then I'd ask for a money back guarantee. And they said, well, we, we can't do that. So one of the things I did is I gave it a complete money back guarantee. And it wasn't even based on results. You could have the best results in the world, but if you say, that we we weren't worth a hundred thousand. I'd say, what were we worth? And they said fifty. Then we guaranteed we give them fifty thousand back. So I think they liked the results oriented. They liked the fact that I'd been in there. But truly, I think many times I was just good at finding best practices and sharing them because that's what they want. They want access to best practices, and then they also want not only access to best practice, but I really think they want help in execution. It's, yeah. it's not that people don't know what to do. It's not that they even sometimes, I know we talk about why, 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 but many people know why they do it. Yeah. So they know why they want to do it. They know what they want to do. So how do you help us execute? So I, I think we, they really like the fact that we could combine passion or the heart, like Heath Brothers said, 80% of the people go with their heart and then 20% go with their, their sort of mind. So I think the fact that we could bring that combination that it made a lot of sense. I remember one time a healthcare system sent 75 doctors and they sort of walked in and said, we don't even know why we're here. We were told to be here, but it was kind of cool. At the end of two days, they said, thank you. This, this was really worthwhile. So I, I think you, you build a company by not trying to build a company. Mm-hmm. You build a company by trying to make sure that you're helping the organizations that you're working with be successful. And yeah. I think they also like the fact we're learning. I talked to Fawn Lopez the other day, the publisher of Modern Healthcare. And she said, you know, Quint, the reason I always like coming to your sessions is I always felt better when I left. You yeah. know, I talked to Scott Becker, Becker Communication, same thing. I always said, I want people to leave feeling better than when they came in. Cause you get beat up enough, whether you're a teacher, yeah. a principal, a superintendent, a board member, you're, you get beat up. And if you don't get beat up, you beat yourself up because we're so filled with perfectionists in our in healthcare and education. The one thing I love about them is when you're in, you talk to teachers, they'll talk to you about some doctor that made a difference in their life or some nurse that made a difference. When you talk to healthcare people, ironically, you know what? They don't talk about the nurse or the doctor that made a difference. They talk about the teacher that made a difference. So they're very, very similar professions. So I just think it's, it's helping them figure out how to execute in a way that people aren't forced to do it but people want to do it. Yeah, that's the key. I think that's the key of what you've done. You know, and and one of the things that you've done so well, Quint, is, and I just reinforce it all the time, is take the complex and make it simple. You just have a tremendous talent in doing that. So as you think about um, Studer Group and, you know, as you shifted 
more to your community work and look back over the your years at Studer Group, what do you think was one of your greatest accomplishments that we can learn from? Here, I'm going to give you a few because I think about this often is number one, in the late 1990s, people were so exhausted and it was vertical integration, horizontal integration, capitation and healthcare. That truly, when they did a study one year, they asked healthcare CEOs, what's on your to-do list? And I don't think they meant to skip it, but employees didn't make the top 10 things on their to-do list, nor really did <laughs> physician satisfaction didn't make it. Maybe physician integration, maybe physician setting up group practices. So the, the things like making people feel good about where they work didn't make the to-do list. And patient satisfaction was considered sort of a, one of those things, and they considered it a soft <laughs> skill, which I never consider any of this soft. So I think getting human capital back on the to-do list was really vital. The, the second thing I think I brought out was the need for training and development. And, and the fact the in the 1990s, when you asked people, how many hours do you get supervisory training? It was about six and a half hours per year. So you and 90 something percent of people that get promoted, get promoted from within. So now in education, it's still the same. Even though you go get a degree as a principal, you're still promoted from a teacher into a principal. So you're still sort of promoted from within. But then, then once you're there, you need to get a lot of training because you want to keep it consistency. So I really think I put the need to train and develop supervisors on the map. That today, LDI, Leadership Development Institute, is almost a common thing. But before it wasn't. In fact, we would say, we can't work with you unless you would train, train people. I think the third thing is really tying into certain standardized things just have to happen. Yeah. Like the better way to hire, the better way to engage employees. Heck, the pre and post call phone call, the pre-call got people into care, the post phone Call made sure they were found their treatment plan. And there's two other ones I'm going to close with because I think they're both very important. I think we discovered what I would call the performance wall. So what, what happens in most healthcare, or I think edu you know, educate, I always joke, education is even worse than healthcare. <laughs> healthcare, we try something for three years, then we give up. In education, it's like one year we go to the new program. <laughs> yeah. and, and when you change so often, people don't get engaged. James Collins says it takes 10 to 12 years to build a consistent, high-performing culture. Well, then sometimes I don't think it was the, the reading program that failed or the math program that failed or in healthcare. I don't think it was the healthcare high reliability or Studer stuff or whatever you want it, Baldwin stuff you called it, is we didn't stick with it long enough to get it right. So if you look at my my performance wall, I show that you sort of get a gap where your high and middle performers hit a certain level. And if you haven't dealt with the people that aren't engaged, aren't on board, they'll eventually pull that other group back. And that was sort of a combination of Peter Senji's work in the fifth discipline. So I, I think I hit the performance wall because in the past people would hit that wall and then they just, you know, they get tired and they go back. I, I sort of call it the Chuck Yeager time where the mm -hmm. turbulence gets so rough. And instead of keeping the throttle down, we back off. I think that was huge because what happened was, Janet, the, the second or third year, all our, all our clients started struggling. They peaked and they'd start sliding back. And, and they thought they needed another book, another motivational speaker. And what they really need to do is deal with some performance issues yes. that they hadn't dealt with. And probably the fifth thing, and I think we did this even before Simon Sinek, was I think we truly got into explaining the why. 
mm-hmm. you know, that you've got to explain if you, if you come in every hour, the person won't fall. You know, if you, if you do this, that this won't happen. So I think those are it, but I think that performance gap, if I yeah. only had to pick two, I pick the investment in training and developing leaders and understanding how to get through the, the tough times. Yeah. Just in the work that we do with partners in education, that performance wall and, and working through through that performance curve, Quint, is just still alive and well and one of the most significant things that we do you know, that you've brought to the table. I couldn't, couldn't well, agree with you more. And it's tough. And that's why objective measure is important. You know, you and I, with our first client, you and I co-coach, yeah. we know it was very obvious out of the 18 principles that a couple of them were just really outliers. Yep. <laughs> really outliers. And and because you're, it's hard to deal with and you come up with reasons and teachers are afraid of retribution, it, it takes a while to get them to make that tough decision. And sometimes in education, it's even tougher because you sort of got, got to give them another warn them and then give them a whole year, (laughs) you know, a whole another year. So sometimes by the time you decide to get rid of somebody, it's two years before they ever leave, which cause unfortunately consequences because your loyalty has to be to your teaching staff. Because I I think your main goal of any healthcare system or any educational system is to have great principles. So the superintendent's job is to hire and develop great principles. Because according to Ronald Ferguson, I know it's been going to be at your national conference in November, when you look at the achievement gap, the key thing of closing that achievement gap is the principle. Yes. So if you don't have the right principle, you're, you're going to run into some real issues. And I think so when you and I talk about achievement gap, it's very rarely the teacher. If you have the right principle, they'll deal with the teacher. Right. That's right. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, one of the other quick things that what I take away and one of your major contributions is the way that you help people communicate with key messaging too. I find that something extremely significant. So just that's what I've, I, I've learned all the things that you talked about. And then the key messaging piece is just so critical. Clint. Well, no, it's, it's great you say that because I said that the other day at a webinar and I talked about keywords at key times. You know, I talked about reducing anxiety, just reducing anxiety that when that, that yeah. parent knows that teacher has experience. Or even if I'm a brand new teacher, but I say, and I just learned this, I just, people want to know the people that are touching them or their children care about them and their children and have experience in it. And I've always found that was such a, such a crucial thing. So yeah, I think, I think keywords are key times and how you say things, even to the point of, you know, this is my perception. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned from Beth Keen so much about if you love someone, you tell them they have a spinach, but there's a way to tell them they have a spinach in your teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't sit here and say, oh my God, you got a big green wad hanging off that tooth. <laughs> yeah. You say, you know, hey, I really care about you. And I know you'd want me to tell you this. I mean, there, yeah. there's a way to tell things. So it's the key messaging is not only the words you use, but the tone and the way you tell them. I know you join me in appreciation to Quint for sharing his story so that we can relate to them with some common elements or learn from them so that we can figure out how to transfer those into to our current lives as an employee and as a leader and, and just in life in general. Quint's going to join us uh, in a couple of weeks at Quint Essential. 
So I hope that you're going to be able to join us there on October 27th and 28th. I look forward to seeing you there and to get there. Join studereducation.com slash events where you can see all of the events we offer. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you're subscribed. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week, everyone.